Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. The Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine is here. Now we have three vaccines available to Americans, and many of us are wondering, which is the best vaccine? Hello, and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin. And I'm Dr. Asha Shah Jahan. We're here to help you and your families live smarter and healthier lives. So this is our third podcast that focuses on the COVID-19 vaccines. In the first one, Matt Sims and I talked about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. In the second one, it was Asha and I talking about the distribution and rollout of the vaccine to the public. And now today we're going to talk about the newest vaccine, the newest one in the family, which is the Johnson & Johnson, colloquially referred to as the J&J vaccine, and some of the new CDC guidelines for those who are vaccinated. And we'll also be talking about some of the new rollouts that are happening as well. Okay, as always, I think when we talk about vaccines, we have to timestamp this information because it is changing all the time, as with most things in COVID. So please uh, understand that we're having this conversation together. It is Today is March 15th, um, and please keep it here for more updates. We will try our best to keep you posted as things change. So, Nick, I'm pretty excited about the J&J vaccine. Yeah. I, I think it's a game changer in the sense that it's a vaccine that's just one dose. So we don't have this waiting period in between as we do for the other two mRNA vaccines. Um, and it's easily refrigerated, which means that it can be stored easier and, and transported easier. So the access to it is much better. And then it's been tested against many of the existing variants. So I think it's quite promising. What are you excited about when it comes to the J&J? Everything you said. Uh, One shot, extremely safe, extremely effective. We'll talk a little bit more about efficacy and, and, you know, specifically what those numbers mean, because I think that there's a conversation to be had there. Um, But this is this is big. Um, and, And I know that the other thing we have to put into perspective here is we got to be careful about comparing apples to apples. Um, and, and so uh, I think we have to walk some folks through that conversation as well here. Yeah, so let's talk about the effectiveness, right? So here we are, um, you know, in all the news, it says Pfizer and Moderna is 95% effective. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to J&J, they're saying it's 66% effective. But here in the United States, it's probably closer to 72% effective. And then so naturally, anyone hearing that is going to say, well, you know, 95 is much better than 66, or mm-hmm. 95 is much better than 72. So how how can we really compare the effectiveness of these vaccines? Um, and as we said, you know, we're comparing apples to apples versus apples to oranges. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? I can. So when you look at efficacy, Moderna and Pfizer, 95%. When you look at uh, across the board efficacy for J&J, we're talking 66 to 72% which is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Remember, when they first set out to make these vaccines, they were targeting something in the 50 to 60% range. Right. That would be pretty good for any vaccine. But they got 66% from stopping COVID in any form, 85% effective at preventing severe disease, 100% effective at preventing hospitalizations and deaths. Those are, I think, the important numbers that we've got to focus on here. If you look at the reason why people should get vaccinated, it's really to prevent hospitalization and deaths. Agreed. And 
all three of them are 100% effective when it comes to that. That's right. What would those Pfizer and Moderna studies look like if they had been done at the same time as the J&J vaccine in a different place, in a different time? When we know for a fact that there were more variants that were circulating around that time, it's very possible that we would have seen the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine have a slightly lower efficacy than what they originally published. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why we have to be very, very careful about trying to compare these. These were these studies were not done in a fashion to do a head-to-head comparison between the two. So as we're talking about the, th- the three vaccines, let's kind of look at the major differences between the three or just kind of like highlight points. We, as we just said, we got to be careful about comparing, but there are absolutely some things that we can compare with these. So um, first of all, the J&J trials were done in different parts of the world and at different times, as we already said. The mechanisms of action of these vaccines are different. We talked about Pfizer and Moderna. These are mRNA vaccines. You take a little piece of RNA that codes for a specific protein, you introduce it to the body, you get an immune response. The difference here is you're using what's called a viral vector vaccine, an inactivated uh, adenovirus, which contains um, within its genomic material that same little piece of the protein. So you introduce this inactivated virus, it gets taken up into the cell, the uh, genetic material gets used to make those proteins. So it's sort of a, I guess it's a slightly um, longer version of a mechanism than what the mRNA vaccines are. The ACIP, which is the Advisory Council on Immunization Practices, which is kind of like the gold standard for immunizations in this country, recommends no preference for any of these three vaccines. I think that's huge. And I think also it's just, again, it, everyone's always like, which vaccine did you get? I'm like, whatever vaccine that you get, as long as you're vaccinated, that is kind of like the key. You know, diving in more into the differences, I, I mean, there's a lot of superficial characteristics that I think we need to point out. First of all, J&J is one dose. We've, we've been hammering on that. You know, I think that's a plus for J&J. Yeah, absolutely. It's like after one dose within, you know, 14 days or so, you're yep. good. You're you're pretty good. And I think a lot of um, people that I know, like who did have the first vaccines of Pfizer and Moderna, some of them are hesitant to get the second dose. And, you know, I keep telling them, if you only get one dose, it's about 53%. Mm-hmm. So you need those two doses if you want it to be higher. So if you're looking at it in that sense, then, you know, J&J with the one dose, you, you get a good result. As far as other key differences, I think storage is a big difference here. And that's an important logistical uh, characteristic that, that's not so important, I think, for the public to necessarily be aware of. But it's really important for those of us who are in the business of distributing vaccines. Mm-hmm. J&J gives us a lot more latitude to distribute this vaccine more broadly to um, all parts of the country, all parts of the world, frankly. You don't need a deep freeze refrigerator freezer to store J&J. You can use a conventional refrigerator to do most of the work. And it can stay longer, right? It's about, It stays in storage for about three months, I yep, think. Yeah, that's exactly right. So then, yeah, that's great. As far as who should get the vaccine, there's really no difference there either. They're all re- all recommended. They're all considered safe. They're all considered effective, whether you have chronic medical conditions, whether your immune system is compromised. And they're all felt to be safe for those what we call special populations. So uh, pregnant women, um, women who are breastfeeding. There's really no difference here in the J&J vaccine than there was with Pfizer and Moderna. We still need to get more data in that space, sure, um, but still considered to be safe in those populations. Yeah, that kind of brings me to the next point is that, you know, what have you been hearing in, in your clinic or just being out and about with friends and family? Like for me, um, 
it keeps coming up about the side effects and the concern for the long-term effects. And, you know, just the other day with everything going on in the news about AstraZeneca abroad, there's all these concerns about blood clots. And so now my patients are asking me, like, hey, if I get J&J, am I going to get a blood clot? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on with that? What would you say to people like that? Well, I would point to historical data from vaccinations in general, of which we have a lot of data. So we've got a lot of different vaccines, many of which have been on the market for a long time. And when you look across the board, regardless of the type of vaccine, the mechanism of the vaccine, you really don't see long-term side effects with vaccinations. Mm -hmm. They're really intended to produce an immune response. That's what they do. Many of them have short-term side effects meaning lasting a day or maybe slightly longer than a day. But this idea of I'm going to get my COVID vaccine today and six months later I'm going to be sitting on my couch and something terrible is going to happen to me is really not a fair judgment because that's really not the the bar that we're comparing other vaccines to. That just doesn't happen with vaccinations. Yeah, I think that's the point that a lot of people are not understanding is that they think that if they're vaccinated that this is in their body forever um, and we kind of talked about the fact that uh, most definitely not in the sense that we might even have to get boosters uh, right. to keep that immunity up. But it's difficult when people are concerned about that. And then, uh, the, you know, a lot of times in the press, there's articles that are kind of, um, you know, reporting stories that are quite incidental, like, you know, someone getting a vaccine and then, you know, 15 minutes later, they're having chest pain or whatever it might be. Um, and so people are concerned. And I think it's valid, it's valid to be concerned. But I, I keep saying just, you know, keep talking to people, look at the people that have gotten it and are doing great. And there's a lot more people that are fine and safe than there are that are being reported anyways, um, in the press as having so you know, so called side effects that may or may not be related mm-hmm. to the vaccine at all. One thing we're seeing with Johnson and Johnson is, um, it's become a very popular vaccine in healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. When patients are admitted to a hospital and they're about to be discharged from the hospital, it's a golden opportunity to give them a vaccine. They don't need to come back for a second dose. They're already you know, in our system. Um, we can give them a dose. We can watch them for 24 hours if that's appropriate and send them on their way, and it's it's all taken care of. That's become sort of the, the default mechanism for the J&J vaccine, at least in the early distribution. I suspect as time goes by, it will be more broadly available in you know, your big box pharmacies and community centers and other places where you can get vaccinated, but that seems to be the real target population right now. Yeah, and then even with primary care clinics, it's a lot easier to store. And, and, and so it's like you can go to your doctor's appointment just like you would get your flu shot. Um, and I think that's going to make a lot of the distribution easier, which kind of makes me go into the next thing is, you know, as we're talking about distribution, you know, here in the state of Michigan, we are currently at 50 years and above with chronic conditions. And, you know, we've done the healthcare workers and essential workers, and those are ongoing and, you know, obviously over 65. Mm. Um, but there's talk about starting April 5th that the vaccine um, eligibility will be all those who are 16 years old and older. Um, and to me, that is exciting. Yeah, uh, bring are, it on. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how that distribution is going to go? And are people going to be able to choose what vaccine they get? And um, what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I got to put on two hats. Um, as, as someone who absolutely wants as many people to get vaccinated as quickly as possible, I think this is the move, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'm totally on board with this. Let's let's get it out there. Anybody that wants it, come and get it. 
Now, I got to temper my enthusiasm a little bit because it's going to be a mess, right? (laughs) I think in the initial goings, it's going to be a little sloppy, right? All of a sudden, there's going to be this enormous demand supply mismatch Mm -hmm. and people are going to be frustrated. So I think the message we really got to be um, shouting to people at this time is when that day comes, when this vaccine is broadly available to anybody that wants it, be patient. Um, we're, people are doing the best they can. You know, healthcare systems, county health departments, pharmacies, I assure you, they are busting their butts to make sure they're getting as many vaccines in arms as possible. Yeah, and you know what's exciting about that is there's a lot of community centers and, you know, churches and temples and different places that are applying to be vaccine sites. So I I think everyone's just getting in it in the sense of like, what can we do uh, to help get shots in arms? And I think part of the excitement is some of the new CDC guidelines that came out, you know, in terms of if you're vaccinated and I'm vaccinated, we can you know, kind of hang out uh, without our masks on. Like, that's pretty exciting. Um, Let's walk through the new CDC guidelines. Sure. So you you pointed it out. I think um, that is the value in getting vaccinated is that the CDC, as of I believe it was March 8th, kind of came out with their new recommendations for vaccinated individuals in community settings that if you are fully vaccinated, meaning two weeks past your last dose, Mm -hmm. um, you can socialize with indoors other people who have been vaccinated without having to wear a mask and without the need for quarantining if by chance you happen to be exposed. And you can hug again. You can hug. You can <laughs> grandparents can cuddle with their grandkids. I mean there's all kinds of, you know, wins here. Right? So I will tell you last weekend it was my cousin's birthday party. Um, when I say party it was like four of us. Mm-hmm. And all you know, all of us were vaccinated and you know, showed up there and it was kinda like, Are you vaccinated, right? Yeah. And the mask comes off and it was like hug. It was like this great like we were just like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Um, and I was like, if that doesn't convince someone in itself to get vaccinated, I don't know what does. Because, you know, as mu- you know, obviously we have to wear masks out in public and, and all of those things. But even the, with some of the new guidelines are, you know, if you're with someone, you're vaccinated and they're un- they're not vaccinated yet, you can still hang out indoors, just keeping that distance. And um, I think, especially as a primary care doctor, seeing all the the masks, me, you know, like the acne with the masks, yeah. and like people having trouble with the mask, and people just tired of like. Wearing the mask, I think this is great news. Um, it is. It's a win, like as like I said. And I think the thing we got to remember about vaccinated people and unvaccinated folks mingling together, first of all, if, if it's a small group, single household, mm-hmm. maybe a couple households, I think you can get away with that. But the decision to um, to not wear a mask if you're a vaccinated person around an unvaccinated person really should be dictated by the unvaccinated person. Yeah. Meaning if that person is someone with cancer or someone with a compromised immune system, I wouldn't take that chance. Sure. I would still wear my mask. I would still do all the things. If I was going to be around a group of, you know, say, 20 or so people indoors, some of us vaccinated, some of us not, I would probably still wear my mask in that situation. Absolutely. In a healthcare setting where we're taking care of patients and, you know, many people that have health problems, doctors, nurses, we're still advocating that we continue to wear masks, even though a good proportion of us have been vaccinated at this point. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's exciting and I was happy to see it. And it's like, I'm happy. I feel like as we're doing these podcasts on COVID and the vaccines, each one gets a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> like it, They're more fun it as, is. as opposed to like just the dismal like numbers of people that are just like the, this, you know, just like we've been through so much in this last year. Um, and I think especially with the anniversary of the one year marking the pandemic just being last oh, week, yeah. you know, many of us were just looking looking back. I was even looking back at like my old posts on like social media. And it's just like we so badly just want to get back to normal. And, um, you know, actually, the President Biden's speech was I think he gave last week. He kind of mentioned almost like Project July 4th and the fact that hopefully by that time we might be living in a different scenario than we are now. Like, how hopeful are you about, you know, that being a possibility? And, you know, what are the steps that are going to get us there? Hopeful. Um, very. I think it's it's doable. It's optimistic. It's it's aggressive. Um, a lot of a lot of dominoes will have to fall in the right direction to, to make that a reality. I think people have to continue to be smart. Mm-hmm. And they got to do exactly what we've been screaming at them to do for the longest time, wear their masks, social distance, stay home if they're sick, get their vaccine as quickly as possible. I think um, what we just talked about with opening up vaccinations to a broader audience will go a long way to help that. But we got to make sure we're helping on the distribution side as well. Um, because I, I worry a lot about demand um, outstripping supply. Yeah, so I think one thing is like if you're listening and you're like really want to get everyone vaccinated and you're wondering what can I do? Like what can I do to help this process? You know, look up where you can volunteer. There's mm-hmm. a lot of places that people can, they need volunteers to help coordinate uh, the process, uh, you know, help guide people, help drive people to vaccination sites. I mean, there's a lot we can do as a community together if we all work together. Um, and I think just like having that that thought of like, I'm helping get us to a COVID-free world, like you're doing your part. And it's like getting vaccinated is also, you know, obviously that's great. That's the biggest step, but it's like helping someone else get vaccinated. That's even more rewarding, I think, sometimes. Um, so I, I just encourage everyone to really look at how you can play a role in getting us to a COVID-free world. You are so right. And there's no I'm not aware of any situation where a person has called a health department um, and has been turned away for wanting to help their efforts. Yeah. These county health departments need help. They really do. Yeah, really. And so that's what I said. It's like, you might think like, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know how to give shots. You may not have to be the person giving the shots. They'll find you a role. Yeah. There's a lot of roles out there. So and I'm I'm hoping that even for myself, I think on the weekends now, I'm, I'm thinking about trying to go out and, and help out getting some of these vaccine sites up and rolling. So we'll see. Good for you. Um, so what's on the horizon when it comes to vaccines? So I know we were talking a little bit about J&J and we had already talked about Pfizer and Moderna. Um, we talked a lot about frequently asked questions in the past, but just kind of like what's up next? A lot. So a couple things I want to highlight here about what's in the pipeline. First of all, there's still um, a pretty large proportion of the population that we have not yet addressed, and that's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, these vaccines, uh, the Johnson & Johnson and Moderna vaccine are for 18 and over. The Pfizer vaccine is for 16 and over. But there are studies ongoing right now that are looking at younger ages. I believe they're looking as far down as about 10 years old right now, mm-hmm. with the hope that by the time these students are ready to return to school in the fall, we will have some additional approvals for Uh, for kids, possibly as young as 10, possibly even younger than that, uh, by the time fall uh, school resumes. 
Yeah, I've got two friends that um, their daughters are enrolled in the, in the study. Um, and, and both of my friends are pediatricians. And, you know, yep. I, I think that speaks volumes. Uh, when people are concerned about safety for their own children, it's like pediatricians are allowing their own children to be in these studies uh, because they know the benefit that it has. Absolutely. We, we got to do the studies, right? You can't just, um, you know, you can't just assume that kids are like little adults and they're going to respond exactly the same. There's, there's data that needs to be gathered to make an informed decision. Yeah. And then just to go back also, like people, a lot of people in my clinic have been saying, well, why are they doing 16 and up? And I, I was explaining to them that the Pfizer study included people of, yeah. you know, 16 years old and, That's how and they did the study, older. Right. So the other thing I think we got to talk about here is the pipeline. So we've got three vaccines right now by um, by early summer, we could have five. We could even have six. Who knows? We could even have more than that. I'd say the next vaccines that are teed up right now that are looking like the most promising candidates would be the Novavax vaccine, um, the GlaxoSmithKline vaccine, and the Astra- AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, you mentioned earlier in the pod that AstraZeneca is having some issues right now. They're, they're looking at some of that data. It's already approved in um, the EU, yeah. uh, but we need to take a little step back. And again, folks, this is why we do these studies. This is why the, the, the FDA and the United States gets a little bit of criticism for maybe not being as quick to approve these vaccines as other countries, but there's a method to the madness here. Yeah, and it's, it, I think it's actually reassuring um, for the American population that we do have such a strict FDA. And if something does get through the FDA, we can be pretty confident that it's gone through all, all of the right measures. Mm-hmm. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Asha, great to be with you today. Yeah, Nick, always a pleasure. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll be talking about other things than COVID <laughs> and vaccines. <laughs> but till then, indeed, that's what we're doing. Exactly. All right. For the listeners, I also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. Dr. Shah Jahan and I are always scouting out the best questions for a future mailbag episode. We leave you today with this healthy thought. We've been talking a lot about vaccines, and what I want everyone to remember is that all three vaccines are 100% effective in preventing hospitalizations and 100% effective in preventing deaths. And that's all we care about. The purpose of getting vaccinated is to prevent those things. We don't want to get hospitalized. We don't want to die. So if you look at all three vaccines, they all do that. So if we want to get to a COVID-free world, We just have to get vaccinated. So read up, get your questions answered, be informed, and we hope that you will get vaccinated. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast. 